Praise the Lord. Wasn't it a blessing just to be introduced to worship? Man, I was in the church for so long before I learned how to worship and the blessing of worship to enter into his presence. And... um have him come where you are. Isn't that amazing? To have this supreme, omnipresent, omnipotent God to come where you are. Man, that's enough to humble us right there. Because when your mind enters into that rest, he just came where you are. And we need to reverence him. We need to keep reverencing and have that fear of the Lord on us. Um, I want to look at the definition of ordain on the screen. Because this is pre-ordination teaching. So let's look at this. I'm going to have Lee kind of read for me so I can save my voice for teaching. Ordain. To officially and publicly make a minister. To officially establish, to invest officially, as by the laying on of hands with ministerial authority, to confer holy orders. Let that sink in. Because that's a great responsibility. One thing Carrie said when he got, after he got ordained, he said, I just felt like there was a greater responsibility now. And that's what I want to kind of teach you on through these series. Series: What is that responsibility? Because if we're not aware of the responsibility, it's hard to yield to being responsible for God. So ordination is a great responsibility. Um, officially establishes you for God. I mean, it's an, we're already set apart at regeneration. But to be set apart after sanctification, time of sanctification, it's a greater measure. And what I love about it, it's a greater measure of the measure that you experienced at regeneration. More of him is what we experience. And the more we experience of him, the more we portray to people, the more we give to people. We always teach in this ministry, you can't give what you don't have. So we try to get everybody in alignment with God so that we can receive from him to give to people in need. And I tell you, these are times where people really need a word of hope. They need hope. They need to see the light on us and, and be drawn to that light so that we can give them a word that has the presence of God on it, that's delivering his love on it. So let's look at Psalm 78, 72 as our starting verse. So David was their shepherd with an upright heart. He guided them by the discernment and skillfulness with controlled his hand. Isn't that amazing? A good foundational scripture. David was a shepherd and a king. His good heart guided the people through through wisdom 
and well-being. As ministers, we should be guiding the people from the integrity of our heart. If there's any integrity in us, it came from Jesus. Amen. If there's any integrity in us, it came from him. So we minister out of the integrity of our hearts. And that brings forth a, a well-being to the people. If we don't maintain integrity, we don't maintain God. In our business, in our home, in our ministry, if we can't maintain integrity, we cannot maintain God. Because that's who he is, is integrity. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. But certain individuals have missed the mark on this very matter and have wandered away into vain arguments and discussions and purposeless talk. They are ambitious to be doctors of the law, teachers of the Mosaic ritual, but they have no understanding either of the word and terms they use or of subjects about which they make such dogmatic assertions. So how do we know if a minister has wandered from God or wandered from his calling? This is a dead sign right here. Vain arguments. Vain discussions. Purposeless talking, which I call complaining. It is purposeless talking because it invites the enemy into our situation. So that's how we know that we have wandered away from the call of God. Is we entered into vain arguments, vain discussions, purposeless talking. Isn't it amazing that the word of God says every idle word is recorded in heaven? There's a lot of people to record. Because <laughs> all of us have done it, right? We're all guilty of that. But... Why is it recorded in heaven? Because we have to give an account for it. How can you give an account for error in the presence of love? You'll just melt. I don't think you'll be able to open up your mouth because his presence, his love is going to be so great. And you're going to feel the judgment that you put on people by idle talking. We don't realize we're putting judgment on them. And we're going to be judged. And how do we get judged? By love. We feel that love. We feel what we've put on the people. That's what we're going to be feeling. How, we, how did we make another feel? Every minister should make another feel loved. Whether they're being corrected Discipline or just nurtured and embraced, they ought to still know that you love them. Amen. They ought to walk away and know that that person still loves me. And that doesn't that, that keeps it keeps it from creating an offense. Let's look at James three one. Not many of you should become teachers, self constituted censors and reprovers of others, 
My brethren, for you know that we teachers will be judged by a higher standard and with greater severity than other people. Thus we assume the greater accountability and the more condemnation. Look at that. So look at the instruction in this verse. I want you to really look at the instruction in this verse. Number one, we receive a stricter judgment. That means more than the average Christian. Now, being called of God and answering the call and, and, and being an ambassador for him draws many blessings from God. But it also draws many, much condemnation from people. Amen. And if you let the blessing outweigh what you're hearing, it won't affect you. It just absolutely won't affect you. Number two. Plus, we assume a greater accountability and more condemnation. So there's a great accountability at stake here. When we choose to answer the call, and we're all teachers, whether you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, you're still a teacher. Everybody's a teacher. But there's some office teachers that have more grace on them that they can build an understanding of the Word of God greater than the average Christian can. So why would anybody in their right mind want this? Because if not, if by not answering the call, we'll be more, we'll be miserable without the blessing. So this is what I'm saying here. By not answering the call, we're going to be more miserable and without blessing. Can you imagine? We've all been there. I think we've all been there. I've been there several times running from a call and experiencing a non-blessed life. But if I answer the call, I'm still going to have these problems, but I'm going to have the blessing too. Amen. So that's the beauty part about answering the call. You're going to get this uh, greater condemnation from people, but you're going to get a greater blessing from God. If you will not enter into that condemnation with them, because God's bringing you to them to bring them out of that condemnation. Amen. Isn't it amazing how God can draw people to you? Because he knows that he has, that you have something to give them or he wouldn't draw them to you. But will we give it? Will we give it? We got to give it. We got to let it go. I love the words on these songs. I'm all yours. I surrender to you. And it's amazing when we let our minds go to him. That's until the minds surrender to him, we're not surrendered. See, the spirit's already surrendered. Because at regeneration, your spirit surrendered and you got God. But our minds, that's what sanctification's all about, is trying to get the mind to surrender to God. All right, let's look at Luke 12, 42 through 48. A little foundational scriptures here, and I'm going to go into some real... Some teaching. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful steward, the wise man whom his master will set over those in his household, service to supply them their allowance of food at the appointed time? Blessed, happy, and to be envied is the servant whom his master finds so doing when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will set him in charge over all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is late in coming and beginning to strike 
the manservants and the maids, and to eat and to drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour of which he does not know, and will punish him and cut him off, and assign his lot with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready, or act as he would wish him to act, shall be beaten with many lashes. But he who did not know and did things worthy of a beating shall be beaten with few lashes. For every one to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And from him who, whom men entrust much, they will require and demand all the more. That's accountability right there. Isn't it? If we look at the instruction in here, these scriptures, we are to be faithful in serving. You can't say I'm too tired to do this or too tired to do that because it's not about your capability. As soon as you step out and say yes to God, he's saying yes to grace. And that in grace is what's going to enable you to minister to that people or that person, and be faithful to serving them. Amen. So that's one instruction here. Let's look at the second instruction. We are to supply food. A lot of ministers don't have food to supply. And that's fresh manna from heaven. Just fresh manna. That manna just, that just arrests you and gives you a big old steak dinner right there unexpectedly. Wouldn't it be nice to have a big dinner unexpectedly? Um, we are to be ministers of fresh manna. That's what a kingdom uh, mindset is. A kingdom minister should be a minister of fresh manna. And the only way that you can get that, you got to be, you got to get to that third heaven and go to where God is. In fact, kingdom ministers are throne room ministers. Amen. They're throne room ministers. A kingdom minister should not get up and teach unless he's been in the throne room, receiving from God and bringing forth fresh manna to the people. Amen. You should feel refreshed when you leave a ministry. You should be refreshed when you leave a person. Amen. So three, we will be blessed by doing this, he says. He says in these verses, if we'll just do this, we will be blessed in everything that we do. And number four, you will have authority to enjoy what he's blessed you with. What's that verse in Ecclesiastes where it says he's given a man wealth but didn't give him the power to eat of it? Wouldn't it be awful to have a bunch of money in the bank and can't use it? But there's another man, he, he says in Ecclesiastes, he's given him wealth but giving the power to eat of it. For this is a man that's blessed. Well, that's us. Every time he gives us something, he's saying, look, if you'll be faithful in doing what your calling is, I will continue to bless you and continue to give you the power and the authority to enjoy it. Isn't that awesome? Not feel guilty every time you step into something new? Ah. Guilt-free. You're in a free, guilt-free, worry-free kingdom. Amen. And number five, verse 45 said, don't beat up the sheep. 
So if there's no fresh manna, and you're coming forth with a word that's not a throne room experience, then you're just beating up the sheep. They're going to feel worse when they leave the church than they did when they came in. They're not receiving nothing. But you. But you. Pastors and ministers get so busy doing God's work and fall out of fellowship with him. It's a deception from the enemy. God will put people around you to free up your leadership so that they can stay before God and bring forth that fresh manna. I'm excited every time someone gets in here to teach because I know I'm going to hear something good. I'm going to hear something that's fresh. Amen? So don't beat up the sheep and then eat, drink, and get drunk. Even the pastors can't wait to 12 o'clock. Amen? You don't want to be one of those leaders. You want to be one that, like Paul, we were talking today, that Paul preached at 12 o'clock, midnight. And one guy fell off the wall because he fell asleep and got hurt, and Paul went over and healed him and went back to preaching. <laughs> so in an apostolic ministry, there's no time frame. There's no time frame. You just let the Spirit be the Spirit. Let God be God. And if He's wearing you out, then He knows that your flesh does need to be wore out. Amen? If you feel wore out, then you know it ain't because of the minister. It's because of my flesh. Can't stand the presence of God. And the flesh can't. It's, it abhors the presence of God. Number six. Discipline from the Lord. He will come unexpectedly and discipline. Now, I've seen some even cut off from their assignments and delivered right over to the unfaithful for a while so that they can come to the end of themselves. It's an it's a awful thing to see a called minister be cut off because he's been in the flesh too long. God will deliver him right over to the unfaithful so that flesh can come to maturity and that minister can come to the end of himself. Amen. And that's the discipline of God. That's the love of God. So number seven was, too much is given, much is required. Now I'm telling you, that takes the grace of God to be able to steward his finances, to be able to steward his revelation takes the grace of God. And the only way that you can keep the grace of God flowing, actively flowing in your life, is you have to remain faithful. You have to stay in faith to get grace to flow. That's the only way to do it. A lot of people say they're in faith, but I don't see any grace on their life. I don't see any favor on their life. So it's their own faith that they were born with. Amen. Man's faith, I call it. That's no, man's faith. So ordination is a serious event not to be taken lightly. We cannot take this lightly. That's why the Lord has me do these three teachings and call the ones that we've already ordained to come in because this is a teaching that they need to hear as well. Amen. They need to hear it as well. Because every person that's in a leadership role, whether it's a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, 
prophet or apostle have to make disciples. And that office should be ordaining that office. Amen? Teachers should be ordaining teachers. Evangelists should be ordaining evangelists. It shouldn't be up to the apostle every time. The apostle sets the standard, gets the ball rolling, and then brings people in to keep the ball going. Amen? So through these series of teaching, you're going to discern who am I and what am I called to? Because it's important before you get ordained that you know that you know that you know what your call is. You're going to know. I know by the fruit. But you're going to know by the call. What that call is. Amen. Well, let's look at Proverbs 1.7. And this is how to keep everything in alignment right here. Keep everything protected right here. Did I give that to you? No, I didn't. It's Proverbs 1.7. is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The reverential and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning of the principle and choice part of knowledge. It's starting point. It's essence. But fools despise skillful and godly wisdom, instruction, and discipline. So what this is saying is, this is revelatory knowledge that brings with it wisdom. It's revelatory knowledge that brings with it wisdom and instruction. And that is the fear of the Lord. If we, if we can't obtain the reverential, worshipful fear of the Lord and getting into that throne room experience, we'll never have the knowledge that needs to be revealed to the people. Amen. We'll just have our knowledge. So that's a good foundation for setting this teaching. So I want to start with um, number one. We, we start with number one is first love. First love. And let's look at John, 1 John 4.19. We're talking about a first love relationship with God. We love him because he first loved us. This should be a priority for kingdom ministers. We loved him because we first, he first loved us. Now, we can get so caught up in ministry that we can stray from first love. We can be working for God and him not working for us. God doesn't work for us. We're not supposed to work for him. We're supposed to work with him. And how do you know that you're not working with him? You're going to get wore out. You should be refreshed. You should be uh, lit up every day. Because that's what the world is looking for. Is the light of God. They were created to recognize it. They are created to hear it. And they're looking for it. Every lost person out there is looking for it. And praise God if he can just get rid of these religious mindsets. My Jesus. And I would just want to honor the apostles because people don't know what apostles go through. Battling with religious spirits. Mindsets. It's taxing sometimes. Uh, so continue to pray for your apostles that God will continue to strengthen them and they would continue to yield to the first love experience. Because that is their primary ministry. 
is loving God and staying in His presence. So Christianity was never meant to be recognized by its disciples. Christianity was never to be recognized by its disciples. How was it to be recognized if it wasn't by disciples? By passion. Love. That's how the world's going to know if you're a disciple of Christ, not just because you carry a title or that you preached a good message or you witnessed to someone. You can witness to someone without love and think that they got saved, but they didn't. Because love wasn't involved. We can work at getting people saved and God not be in it. When there's love involved in witnessing to someone, you're going to see a few tears. That's how you know God's in it. Because only God can can bring a contrite spirit. Amen. Only He can bring that spirit to a place of brokenness. And that's how you know you successively have won someone over. So Christianity was never meant to be recognized by disciples, but by passion. By passion. Structure without passion is what? Religion. We're called to a structure. Everybody's called to a structure, but a structure without passion for God, a passion for people, is just religion. It's just religion. And it's amazing how religious demons can add to a church. People. The apostolic ministries were never called to be that large. Because if you're large overnight, then something's wrong. Because this time of transition between church age and kingdom age is a time of reformation. God is rebuilding his church. And, you know, when when a little bit of the mind gets renewed, That's all the devil needs is, hey, he's got a little bit of renewed mind. He'll start sending people. Amen. For years in this ministry, I said, Lord, don't send the people. Ah, These are enough right here. These are enough right here. Because you can't effectively do what you need to do with a bunch of people. I think statistics say one pastor uh, can only minister effectively to about 55 people. 55 people. The real passion helps develop great discipline. We try to discipline ourselves, but without a passion for God, discipline is going to be in vain. Absolutely in vain. If we don't have a disciplined life every day to get in the presence of God, our life is in vain. Think about that. If we can't discipline our flesh to get in his presence every morning before we leave that house, our life is really in vain for that day. We have nothing to give people. We have nothing to offer the people. So if we look on the screen, there is probably no better example than to watch a man and a woman who have fallen in love. Can you imagine? You can see the difference in them. Then you're jealous. 
I've been there. When I was single, I'd see people in love. I said, hey, I'm doing everything right, Lord. Where's mine? (laughs) (laughs) So you never have to tell them to think about each other. Isn't that beautiful? You don't have to tell. They're constantly on their mind. You never have to tell them to sacrifice for the other's benefit. Never. It just It's a natural to sacrifice for one another. It, 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 it comes natural because love is grace. Love is grace. Neither do you have to suggest that they aside other interests so they can spend time together. They don't suggest that you put aside other interests. It's automatic for them. They set time aside for each other. They don't let the world come in and control their relationship. I set that order when Zinni and I got married. I said, Wednesday night's going to be our date night, except for tonight. I'm here. (laughs) You've got to set that time aside and go back to that first love experience weekly. Weekly, there should be a night out. Or your life's in vain. It really is, because God works through couples. Your marriage is a mirror of his marriage to us. Your marriage should represent the bridegroom and the groom's marriage. Amen. So your main focus as a, a, a minister, as a man, should be your wife, not the people. And the same with the wife should be the man, not the people. That was the greatest revelation the Lord gave me one night in this ministry several years ago. He said, look, if you'll, if you'll wash your bride, focus on your bride, I can take care of mine. But pastors are so loving because of that nurturing gift. They want to take care of everybody. And their wives are suffering. And I'm going to get into some statistics later in this teaching, not tonight. Of, and it, it's mind-blowing how many divorces, how many pastors leave ministry. No wonder Jesus can't come back to his church. Because everybody's abandoning him. I mean, Jesus, Lord. God is looking for this love from his ministers. If you can give him your first love, he'll cause you to be in love with your mate. If you can give him that time, the men and the women, he will cause you to be in love with your mate. And listen, if you're single, he'll never bring your mate until that's established first. Because I asked him why it took him so long for me. And he said, it took you that long to fall in love with me. I was already in love with you. But it was true. Because I was so busy. That I need to spend more more time with God. First love experience. He's already in love with us. Wouldn't it be? Somebody's already in love with you out there. Teresa. The single. Somebody is already in love with you. Wouldn't it be nice to meet them? (laughs) Well, there's a level of first love intimacy that God wants us to have with him before he releases that. 
But let's look at the screen. The church of Ephesus lost sight of this very kind of love, first love. They were known for so many good things, but one thing they were supposed to maintain above everything else was the first love relationship with God. They, you look at this book, read this book, look at the good works that they did. They did a lot of good deeds, but they fell out of relationship with God. So sometimes our lives get so busy with spiritual activities, amen, that we lose sight of why we are alive and what to do, what our assignment is. Ask yourself, why are you alive? You're not alive for your mate. You're not alive for your job. Why are you alive? You are alive so God can be in love with you and you can be in love with him. That's why we're alive. That's the primary focus. If we can get that right in our marriages, let me spend time with God before I have coffee with my wife. Let me spend time with God before I pick up the newspaper or turn on the TV. Let me spend time with him because what I'm gaining from, from him, my wife needs. And what I sow into her life, I'm reaping back to my life. I got, I'm, I'm a partaker of that fruit. So we are alive to God and we are assigned to give love. That's our assignment. The call is different from the assignment. Our assignment is to give love. Our love experience that we've, we've had with Father. So sometimes our passion gets replaced with duty because of pressure, circumstances, belief systems, etc. Our passion gets replaced with duty and it's a deception from the enemy. Amen. It's a pure deception. Let's look at the screen. The, the nature to love him with reckless abandon is still in you. That nature to love him. Chris and I have been talking about this, and Chris would just say, I just want to love more. I said, God, he's getting it. He's touched God. Because when you want to love more, you've been in presence of the Father. Because that's all he wants to do is love more. Isn't it amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing that if that was all you were capable of doing? <laughs> you weren't capable of doing anything else. But love, that's all God is capable of doing because love conquers everything. Love satisfies everything. When you're with the one you love, don't you feel completely satisfied? That you don't want to be anywhere else? You feel like the world is revolving around you. Amen? That's what it feels like. So first love passion is reactivated. Look at Revelation 2.5. First love passion is reactivated in doing the deeds that you did at first. Now this is a key. Because I know some of us aren't really in the first love right now. I mean, we're into other things, deeds and works and trying to get it right and trying to get my husband right, trying to get him changed, get the wife changed. We're trying to fix everybody, right? 
or trying to mold and shape them into what they what I want them to be. But remember this. Remember that. Go ahead and read that leaf for me, please. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Ah, what is a lampstand? The anointing. There was an angel set in this place. And I don't ever want him to leave because of what something I'm doing. An angel is in this place. He's watching over this ministry. He's watching over your ministry. He's stationed here. And I don't want to do anything that offends him. Anything other than first love experience is an offense to God. It's an offense to God. But this is how we do it. Remember when you first got born again? That experience, you couldn't, that's all you did was talk about God. Right? In fact, we talked about him so much that we didn't have wisdom with it. And it caused people to move away from God. I remember that. And I love Paul Hodge. I love Paul. He would do that with me. He was sad. Can you see his zeal now? He had the same zeal when he was born again. But no wisdom. Well, you get an intellectual person and try to get them saved with, with no wisdom behind it. You're not going to get them. You're going to push them away. Because wisdom gives them the answers for their question. Wisdom's the only answer that you can give someone that cannot be contradicted. Everything else is going to be contradicted. It's amazing when wisdom comes forth. It can't, it, you can't even reason with it. It just, boom, it explodes on the inside of you. So how much are you talking about him? What is your prayer life like? And how much do you read your Bible? How much does a minister read his Bible? How much is he supposed to read his Bible? Well, I can tell you this. If you can just take time to get in the presence of God, then he'll measure out the time that you need to get in that word. Amen. Because it, it could take one paragraph and be enough in the presence of God. To blow your mind. Amen. One scripture can just, just blow your mind in the presence of God. So that's how you reactivate doing the deeds you did at first. Go back to the basics that you used to do. Look on the screen. This is leading you into action that can reactivate the passion of your heart. Several times I almost lost my passion. But I thought I was in it. But I was miserable because I was doing so much. Going to this person's house to pray for them. Going to this person's house to pray for them. I was busy doing work for God. People were getting healed. Miracles were happening. And there was a, 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 a season of joy for the moment. But when I left, I felt drained. I felt miserable. That's how I know I was doing it for God and not with God. You can activate the gift in you through faith. God has to honor the faith. But God may not be with you in that activation. Does that make sense? Because you will not leave drained. I can teach here for five and six hours one night and go home and still can't sleep because I'm buzzing so much. 
Y'all have experienced that, right? That's how you know God is working with you. And that's what we want as kingdom ministers. We want God to work with us. So by doing what you used to do, you're calling the nature of passion back to the surface. Isn't that amazing how simple that is? If I can just go back and read my Bible, if I can just go back and tell people how, God good, how good God is and not try to witness to them, just telling how good he is. Let him see the goodness on your life. Let them see the goodness on your life. You're activating something. You're activating a passion that needs to come back to the surface. So there are a few things in life more beautiful than an older couple still in love. Isn't that awesome? I've seen that recently at, at airports when we fly, and I see two little old people still holding hands. They could barely walk, but they're still embracing each other. That's what God wants. He wants us to grow in this first love experience. I can see Carrie and Paige right now barely walking. Carrie's still preaching. <laughs> Paige still teaching. Can't you see them? I'm excited about growing old together. Amen. And Carrie makes me laugh all the time anyway. Can you imagine how much you're going to make me laugh then? But we're going to grow old together. We're going to grow old with God. And we're going to grow old together and enjoy each other. Look on the screen. It's illegal. Listen to this, what the Lord said. It's illegal to enjoy the presence of the Lord and not conquer something. Oh. That's a dead sign if you've been in the presence or not. Because you know that second heaven can give you a temporary experience. Oh, you made it. You're all right. I said, Lord, let's nail this thing tonight about this third heaven experience. So it's illegal to enjoy the presence of the Lord and not conquer something in your life. Not conquer something in someone else's life. So every day you should be conquering something in your life or somebody else's life. Every day. And ask yourself, how long does it take to get in the presence of God with me now? Does it take 10 minutes? Does it take three hours? Ask yourself, how long does it take? Because it really shouldn't take but a few minutes. Just as soon as you start praising him. Uh, that tells you the maturity of your spirit. Your spirit is closer to the flesh, the body, to touch God just that quick. He only has to go through a little bit of flesh, not a monument of flesh trying to come in. But kingdom ministries are throne room ministries and its expression. That's the key word. Its expression. Let's look at Isaiah 6, 8. Kingdom ministry is a throne room ministry and its expression. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. So Isaiah was in the throne room when the Lord said, whom shall I send? Isn't that amazing? Because that's the first thing he's going to do is send you to conquer something. Because while you're in the throne room, he's conquering something in you. 
And you don't even realize it. He can kill something. You won't even know it. Being in the presence of God. Something could be gone that you used to do. Just being in the presence. Isaiah answered it right. He said, here am I. Send me. Send me. I know when people get in the presence of God, when I used to get in the presence of God and, and just get wasted and you say, what must I do? What can I do? Tell me what to do. So worship is the ultimate experience. Absolutely, worship is the ultimate experience. When you embrace someone, man, you should be releasing the presence of God. Not the anointing, but the presence of God. Ever, you ever just hug someone and you just want to start melting? That is the presence of the Father. That, that first love relationship is restored and already built up in that person. So if you consider yourself a great worshiper of God, but do nothing outside of that activity, then your ministry is in vain. It's in vain. You're ministering out of your own resources and not the resource of heaven. I question the experience of anyone who says, he has encountered the Lord, but is not willing to serve. Man, that's the first thing you want to do. When you truly encounter God, all you want to do is serve him. Just serve him. I love ministering. I love teaching. That's serving him. Well, how's it serving him? By serving you. That's serving him. Is when I serve you. So Isaiah replied to, to God, authentic, authenticated his throne room worship. That authenticated his throne room worship. That he said, I'll do it. I'll go. God's going to tell you something in that throne room worship. If he's not telling you something, he's working on you. Because he can't trust you with it. If he's not telling you something to do, that's a dead sign. He can't trust you with it. So just stay in his presence until he gets rid of everything that's not of him. Then he says, go do this. Go conquer this for me. So let's look on the screen again. It's a great privilege for every believer to be invited into the throne room of God to minister to him. That's really our first calling is to minister to him. That is our calling is to minister to him. It's easy in a worshiping culture. Listen to this. He said, it's easy in a worshiping culture to lose focus and actually worship worship. Man, oh man. See how easy deception can get in there? Now we're worshiping worship and not experiencing a third room, third, third throne room of heaven. I've just been in churches recently where they're worshiping worship. How do you know? Because there's no presence of daddy in the house. There's no presence of the glory coming into the house. Isn't that wild? We're presence carriers. Wow. How do you worship worship? How how would you say how how do y'all worship worship? You can love the music. 
Remember I said the music that I get is not for you? The playlist that God gives me is not for us. It's for Him. And man, it'll mess some of the minds up. They just can't connect to that music. That's how you know it's the right music. Because if I can minister to Him, He'll minister to you. If you can minister to Him, He's going to minister to you. But we can get caught up in the music. We can get caught up even in the atmosphere. We can get caught up in being together. But never actually encountering the face of God. And hopefully by the end of these series of teaching, when you go into worship, you're going to encounter His face. I don't think but a few people here have really encountered His face. Because I can usually tell who's encountered the face of God. Because they change forever. They're not changed just a little bit. They're changed forever. Not the same. Let's look on the screen again. All who consider themselves abandoned worshipers of God must ask themselves this question. I love this. Is my passion for His presence measurable outside of the expression of worship? Let that sink in a minute. Is my passion for His presence measurable outside of the expression of worship? In other words, what am I doing outside of worship? Is what I'm doing outside of worship, does it really measure my throne room experience? Does that make sense? That's how I can tell with our ministry people, with our people in here, how long they've been in the throne room. By the measure of the experience outside the throne room. Signs, wonders, miracles, conquering things, dominion over things. Jesus did not, Jesus did not do all he did, so we would do nothing. See, in a pastoral church, if the saints are there too long, they don't do nothing. They just go to church and think they fulfilled their duty. What an awesome thing, an awful thing to regress. Because if you're not growing, you're regressing the whole time and not knowing it. But you can't stay in one place. God's going to move you up or the enemy's going to back you up. People think they're idle. I'm comfort in my comfort zone. Well, they think they're comfortable. They don't realize they're regressing the whole time they're comfortable. God didn't call you to comfort. He called you to conquer. So let's look on the screen. Our love for God is measured by our love for people. How are you talking to people? How are you talking to your mate? Are you honoring your mate in your discussions? That's a measure right there of your throne room experience. How you're loving people. And if we're not having a throne room experience, then we're not having an expression of our God in the seen realm. So the unseen realities in our lives must be measurable in the seen. 
that unseen reality, that experience with God, must be at some level measurable in the seen realm. Releasing an, in, I love this, he said, releasing an, an eternal impact. That's a change. You can't come into an apostolic uh, minister or come in contact with one and not get changed. Or either not be miserable. You're going to be miserable because your head's going to be spinning. So you get it right. He's trying to get you in the presence of God. All right, let's look at the, let's look at this. The, the, it's the clash of kingdoms. Look on the screen. Great love for God looks for ways to display his love by opposing fear, opposing anger, opposing worry, opposing pride. All these things we should be in opposition to. Because if God's in opposition to it, then we should be in opposition to it. He opposes the proud. He opposes pride. And all these other things, worry, fear, and all that kind of stuff, is all connected to pride. Every bit of it's right there. Those things that seek to kill and destroy people's lives. So if we're ministers, and we're not opposing these things in our own life, and we're trying to minister to people, we're just making them worse than where they are. We need to be pulling them out of these things. Lovers of God are privileged to enforce the victory won at the cross. Lovers of God are privileged, like Carrie did in the courtroom the other day, to enforce the victory won at that cross. It should cause people to tremble. Shake in the presence of God. Shake under that anointing. This is part of our worship expression. I was proud of Kerry when he gave me that testimony. That told, told me right there he's been in the throne room. Because you have to have an expression if you've been in that throne room. It's got to come full circle. From the unseen to the seen, back to you. All right, falling in love. Wow, man, I tell you what, I can't get this teaching out. Oh, all right, let's look at this. Um, that's the end of falling in love. All right, number two, train to recognize the signs of your calling. And hopefully we'll be finished in about 15 minutes. Train to recognize the signs of your calling in fruit and interest. Write that down. In fruit and interest. Not everyone is called to the fivefold ministry. But everyone is called to their purpose. To their purpose. You may be graced in a dual purpose, like we are here. We're graced in a dual purpose. You may be called to a fivefold office, which would be a primary purpose in the church assembly. And that's all you would do, is just be in that assembly. You're called to that assembly. You're not really called to the marketplace. You're called to an assembly, and that's where you are, eight hours a day. But in, in a church assembly, but also working in the marketplace, introducing a grace that is on the fivefold ministry. So, like we have here, the dual calling. We have an assembly, 
and we have a business. So we're introducing the fivefold ministry over there and getting people changed. But there's some churches that won't have that. Amen. They'll just have a, a church assembly called to a fivefold, and they'll have stationary people there all the time. All the time. And we'll get into that later. You could have a strong spiritual gift and a strong natural gift. For example, when I, I have a strong natural gift for building building. I can lay out a set of drawings and see that building built. I can see where every nail is, every bolt is. It's amazing how God, these gifts God gives us. And if you can see it, you can put money on it. Amen? Because everything is tied to money. And that's how we've been so effective in all our bids. Because I can see it, I can put money on it. The ones that can't see it, throw money on it. Does that make sense? If you can see it, you can put a dollar value on it. If you can't see it, you just throw money on it to protect yourself. So what they're doing, they're just protecting their ignorance by throwing money on it. But look who it's costing. It's costing your client. It's costing your client. Isn't that amazing? So God has given me a gift to see. But he's also given me a gift to build lives. Amen. I can see the gift in someone. I can see what's going on in their life because it's a gift. Apostles are builders. They're builders of buildings. They're builders of, of people. So that's the dual calling working. That's a spiritual gift and a natural gift working, working together. So you have to recognize the signs of your spiritual gifts. And they're all listed in the Bible, all the gifts. And, I, and as we get closer into this teaching, and closer to ordination, you're going to realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't be ordained for this. It's being, it's, it make, I'm making it clear. It's becoming more clear to be ordained for this. You could be ordained for a ministry of helps. You could be ordained for a ministry of administration. It's not always a fivefold ordination here. Our primary focus is on the fivefold. But if we have people that are ready to be ordained in these other areas, then we start working with them and ordain them in their gifting. When this is achieved, God ordains, sets apart for his use, the spiritual and natural gifts to introduce the kingdom. Like Tom and Brenda, they have both have businesses. They're a prime example. They have spiritual gifts. They have natural gifts. God can use them both to bring a kingdom experience in that business to their clients. And all it takes is one word. One word causes an impact in people's lives. All right, so let's recap. One and two, we're almost finished. Though a fiery, the, through a fiery burning heart for God, which is first love, we introduce to the world our spiritual and natural giftings to disrupt nature. 
That's part of the teaching I didn't get into because I watched my time. There's about another page here. But that kind of love should disrupt nature. That's another good sign. In other words, it disrupts what's common and makes it uncommon. Isn't that cool? So when somebody leaves your presence, what was common in their life should be uncommon now. Amen. Through a love that is evident in the way we relate to people. When they meet you, it should be an uncommon experience for an extraordinary event. I mean, when, when you put that mindset on you and you know that you're going somewhere to meet someone, this is the mindset you want to take. Because if you'll take on the mindset, what you're thinking on God will accomplish for you. He'll accomplish it for you. So when we meet people, it should be an uncommon experience and an extraordinary event. In other words, they'll never forget it. They will absolutely never forget your presence. And something should take place that awakens their common experience through coming into contact with the supernatural love between you and your God. Just like Carrie had an experience at the courthouse, the man saw Jesus in his eyes. Now, if the people can't see Jesus in your eyes, then first love's not there yet. First love's in your belly. But I want him in my head. Because these are their windows to the house, right? I want Jesus looking out of these windows. And not Gene Hall. Something should take place when you come into their life. So look at, look at the next one. Do you have a love for God that consumes your thinking? That's all you think about. Because if that's all you're thinking about, all he's thinking about is taking care of what you're thinking about. Yes. Do you have a love for God that consumes your thinking by taking first place in your thoughts, in your words, and in your actions? I saw a scripture the other day I hadn't seen before. It says, I, I trust God by what I say. Our words are evident of our trust for him. Our words are evident of our trust. So how do you know it won't be casual, it won't be convenient, and it will be very disruptive in nature? That's the kind of love first love has an impact on. Isn't that awesome? It won't be convenient. Very disruptive in nature. All right. Number three. We're finishing number three. We're doing good. Initiate the process that will leave a legacy. If you don't leave some type of legacy in your life, then your ministry is in vain. It really is in vain. Just like you, you guys, you have children. You're training them up in the way of the Lord. They're going to be your legacy. Your children should be your legacy, primary your children. Our minds are either renewed to initiate the process of God or be at war with God. Man, oh man, have we been there. How many times have you been at war with God? Man, a whole lot. 
We have been doing there a whole lot. We should be initiating a process, not a war. You'll never win. Because God's primary target is introducing first love. That's his primary target. Into the mind. First love is already in your belly, in your spirit. He's trying to introduce it into the mind. Because look at this. Because a renewed mind enhances faith. When your mind gets renewed, I know that as my mind got renewed over the years, my faith increased. My faith increased. Fear dissipated. Faith increased. And without a renewed mind of faith, it is impossible to please God in our giftings because it does not introduce first love passion. I'm going to repeat that. It's impossible to please God in our giftings because it does not introduce first love passion. Man, people ought to see your passion for God when you're operating in that gifting. Amen? You should see the burning in you, the twinkling of his presence in your eyes. But when it does not please him, but when it does please him, he rewards those who diligently seek him. So what is the reward? I asked the Lord, I said, what is the reward for diligently seeking you? Notice he doesn't reward our gifting. He rewards our passionate, burning love for him. That's what he rewards. To be in his presence continually. Can you be in his presence in your workplace? Absolutely. You're a carrier. So if you are in love with someone, you are not satisfied until you are in their presence. And before I ordain our married people, I'm going to be talking to them. Are you, are you really in love with each other? Because your ordination is going to be in vain. And I don't want to be a part of that in vainness. Because whatever I agree to you, it's coming on me. And I don't want to be there. So I'm going to be talking about that. Uh, how in love are you? or How in love are you with your mate? If you're in love with someone, you are not satisfied until you are in their presence. It feels like everything is complete. And with God, we bring that completeness into our giftings to change what is broken and not complete to a state of completeness and awareness of a divine love encounter. So that love relationship between you and mate, you and your mate, is bringing God, that first love experience, into somebody else's life. So let's look on the screen. What is the reward of dil diligently seeking Him? First love is being built up to a romance with God and then a marriage with his son. That's the reward. I'm going to say it again. First love is being built up to a romance with God. And then a marriage with his son. Now we are full of first love. And ready for his return. 
That's our goal. That's our ultimate goal is get him to return. He's not going to return until we're in love with him. And he's given us marriage to his son. Because a father father has to give you away. Right? We're the bride. The father knows when we're ready. He's going to say, go get my bride. Go get my children, he says. He said, go get my children. And you can have your bride now. That'd be awesome. That's going to be a glorious day. At the twinkling of an eye, half the church is going to be gone. (laughs) I'm glad y'all got that. But hopefully all the church will be gone by then. That's our goal, is to help the Christian. All right? The rest of this is about repentance. Um, I'm not going to get into that because repentance, this is what repentance is is not. Um, Well, let me just start with this. A renewed mind enhances faith and gives faith a context for divine reasoning. I always say in this ministry, don't reason, don't reason, don't reason. But there's a divine reasoning that takes place in the intellect with God. And listen, a renewed mind enhances the faith to reason with God. To under, uh, come let us reason together, you may sins be white as snow. So the framework for a renewed mind is the nature and promises of God. The framework of a renewed mind is the nature and the promises of God. That's the framework we need to have. A renewed mind sees, oh, I love this. A renewed mind sees the potential of a child's lunch to feed the multitude. Isn't that amazing? Look at something so small and know that you can feed 5,000 people from a child's lunch. That's a renewed mind. That's what we've got to come into. It is very disruptive to nature. See, Jesus walked in that love experience. He walked in that first love experience. That's why he could take that lunchbox and feed 5,000 or more people because he was introducing his expression of worship. To the people. And it multiplied. Kept multiplying. It was an invasion of God. Into the impossible situation of life. Invasion of God. That's what we should be carriers of. Invasion of God. And the impossible situation. He said his disciples struggled with this and as they saw the unlimited display of God's goodness flowing through Jesus every day. They struggled with it, but they saw this expression every day. This is what God is ordaining. An unlimited display of his goodness. The people. That's what he's ordaining. Is that your display every day? 
hopefully it'll be before we get to ordination that I've got to display every day of the expression, the weight of my worship time. A renewed mind is a repentant mind. We have to do it every day. It is a godly sorrow over sin that enables a soul to shift its perspective from reality to super reality. In other words, seeing everything from God's perspective. Seeing everything from his perspective. This is the last thing. Put this on the screen. Repentance is not this. Repentance is not this. Self-abasement nor self-criticism. That is not repentance. This could cause you to miss your seasonal chance to a renewed mind by getting too caught up in yourself. Isn't that the first thing the devil wants you to do? Oh, let me get caught up in my criticism. Let me get caught up in my self-abandonment. Let me get caught up in my condemnation. Let me get caught up in my fears. Huh? Self-abasement, that means you're... You're bathing yourself in these things and selfishness, huh? <laughs> bathing, self-abasement. That means you're consumed with self. And, it, you know, that's seasonal for all of us because we have fears and we have angers and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden we get consumed with it. That's self-abasement. That's what we don't want to do. That is not repentance. Too much of the church wants pity. God didn't call us to pity. He's already wiped that clean. He wiped it clean. Amen. So let's recap. Awaken first love. Recognize what is working through you, spiritual and natural. And then number three, initiate the process of renewing the mind, God's character. Amen. I was hoping I could get it all in. I think I got most of it in. The next one, I, really the last one I'm really excited about, of how to make the transition from the church to the apostolic and how to get other churches to connect. Amen. Praise God. Let's give God some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, seal this information with the precious Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. Seal it with your presence. For we heard you tonight. We will receive you tonight. And we will step in back into our first love experience. In Jesus' name. For your glory. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I can't wait for the rest of them.